Hello, my name's Patrick, and I'm a Scream Queen. I'm a Scream Queen. And so are you! <laughs> Hello again, my beautiful screamers, and welcome to another episode of Scream Queens, the podcast where horror gets bent. This is episode 61, and tonight, the nightmare closet creaks open once again, spitting out terrors from my childhood. And this week, this week, we're spending the night in the house of seven corpses. Not four, not five, six is not enough, eight is entirely too much, seven Seven corpses. But if you call now, you also get this amazing potato peeler. Shut up. And then we're having two very special guests discuss Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night 2. Except we're not. Why, you ask? Because episode 61 is cursed. It's got a death curse. No, it's just got a curse curse. You'll figure that out later. Anyway, it is time to start the show. So why don't I start talking? Why don't I stop talking and do that right after this amazing promo. Hey, you cool cats. You out there listening to the chitter chatter on your iPod machine. Why don't you come on and drop by N-O-T-L-P and check out six nasty Cincinnati kids talking about the shit you like. Oh yeah, Night of the Living Podcast. Well, I, I like it because they talk about topics that are important to me as a man of uh, of my generation. I like it when the little guy talks about pornography. I like the recipe segments. I'm really hoping that eventually they tell a joke I can borrow for one of my mini cocktail parties. I just don't like to be alone in my head. There you have it. Your brothers and sisters agree. Night of the Living Podcast is where it's at, homie. Hi, everybody. Hi. Oh, my gosh. You came back. I can't believe it. Hi, everybody. I'm so excited to have you here again. So let's talk some shit, okay? Let me get some business out of the way first. I just want to let you know that Bradford is doing fine after his gallbladder surgery, although he's taken the opportunity of you know healing up to become almost completely inert, being even more bedridden than he normally is. So that's fun. You know, that's fun for me. And aside from that, everything's fine. The other thing is uh, my surgery is scheduled on the 23rd. Also, I'm on overload this week. Because uh, I've got putting this show together. I'm also, I've also volunteered to be in uh, my friend Jimmy's cabaret show. It's a whole night of his music. So I'm doing a number there and I'm trying like crazy to learn this number. It's really long. It's really funny, but it's, it's storytelling and singing and it's all got to be rhythmically perfect. And I'm having a hard time with it. So this show's two days away and I'm stressing. Anyway, that much said, if you're in the area Thursday night, Actually, scratch that, because by this point, the show will already have happened by the time you're hearing it. But if you had been in New York City, you could have come to the Lori Beachman Theater at 7 o'clock and see me sing about being the fat kid at summer camp who's plotting to get revenge on the bullies. 
And no, I don't chop their heads off, which I would, that's how I would have written this song, but it's not my show. Okay, I'm babbling. But okay, so I got this, this surgery. I got Brad sick. I got this cabaret show. I'm rehearsing for my trip to, to Denver at the beginning of July. Uh, my parents sold their, their house, my childhood home, so I'm running back and forth between here and Long Island, cleaning out all the stuff that I have in storage there, finding what little gems of treasure I have before they all, it all goes in the dumpster. And about 500 other things, so I think Patrick might need a vacation sometime soon. A big one. But that much said, I want to get a little um, sad, sort of sad business out of the way first. I wanted to tell you, um, well, as a lot of you know, my sister Teresa died from a, a particularly nasty battle with cancer last September. And we were all heartbroken, and, and it was very, very painful. But she was a teacher at a at a high school out of Long Island, a public high school. She was a math teacher, and evidently, without her, the whole department went south. They tried to replace her. They could not find anybody, and the students' grades went down, which is really sad. But the good thing to come out of it is that the, the rest of the faculty got together, and they set up a scholarship foundation in Teresa's name. And what I really love about this scholarship is that it's not for the student who's done the best in math, who's gotten the best grades in math. It's for the student who has really, really, really struggled and in the end has kicked math's ass because that is what Teresa was all about. She had this knack of taking the most impossible things, you know, in life or in math or whatever, and making it, explaining it in a really simple manner that usually was also really funny and the the, the comedy of it made it easy to remember. So this is a wonderful memorial for her, even though my other sister completely fucked up the whole thing. But that's another... I'm not going to go into that here because she's an attention hog and a control freak and she got up and talked for half an hour and screamed into the microphone so everybody got mad at her. The, the ceremony was four hours long anyway. Okay, you know what? I'm going to have a rant and it's not about my sister really. Okay, this award ceremony at this high school was not graduation. It was a special award ceremony for special people who've done special things. Things. This ceremony went on for four goddamn hours. There must have been 600 awards. The awards table was loaded down with not just diplomas and, and plaques, but gift bags and t-shirts and big wrapped boxes. I'm like, what's going on here? And these awards were like, best pencil sharpening. And I'm thinking, okay, you've gotten like, what? 600, 800 awards going out tonight. How big is your graduating class? Are there really that many special people in your graduating class? Because something tells me, no. I'm looking at it going, this is a public high school. This is my tax dollars being wasted on spoiled rich kids. And the thing was, at some point, in the middle of all this, award after award after award after award, and like everybody in the entire auditorium has gotten an award at this point, except for me. And I'm thinking, maybe at the end of this, they'll just someone will just say, all right, everybody, look under your chair, because you get an award, you get an award, you get an award, best clapping, yay, because that's what it was like. I'm yelling. And here's the thing, here's my other beef, which leads to my summer beef. Because it's flip-flop season. As many of you know, I hate open-toe shoes. I just do. Especially just because in New York, it's gross. Because you walk around in open-toe shoes all day, your feet look like, they look like, I don't know, just, they look, they look nasty is what I'm trying to say. Worse than open-toed shoes and sandals are flip-flops. I hate flip-flops. I hate that flip-flops have a place in fashion outside of the beach now. It drives me crazy. These kids were up there getting awards, special awards, dressed like slobs, and wearing flip-flops. And I'm going, ah! Ah! My mother would have beaten me with a ruler had I showed up to an awards ceremony wearing flip-flops. Here's the other thing. Because here's the other thing. I have some basic rules. If you're going to inflict flip-flops upon me, 
I have a few basic rules. First of all, don't have gross feet, okay? If you got gnarly, nasty ballet dancer toes, cover them up. I understand flip-flops are more comfortable, but fuck you. I would like to keep my lunch where it is, on the inside. Second of all, pick up your feet when you walk. Do not wear flip-flops and scuff your feet along the street because they are called flip-flops for a reason. They're supposed to go flip-flop, flip-flop, not That is the noise I want to hear when you're walking past me wearing flip-flops. I want to hear flip-flop, flip-flop, not like you're wearing corduroy pants and you're fat. I can't believe I just said that. Oh, also, buy them in your size. This goes with sandals, too. I don't want to see your toes hanging out over the top of it, your heel flopping over the back of it, because I swear to God, I was on the subway the other day, and I saw this this very, very large woman wearing a pair of flip-flops, and she had had these gigantic elephant two-ton feet, and underneath them were these teeny, tiny, little Hello Kitty-sized flip-flops. They were just like basically hanging off of one toe. I mean, who are you trying to kid? Who are you trying to kid? You might be able to squeeze your big body into a size 12, and you might be able to even somehow fold up that gigantic hoof of yours into a size, you know, 8 Manolo Blahnik, but you cannot fit into the child size flip-flop, madam. And you're making me sick. Also, get a fucking pedicure. You know what? You don't need to get a pedicure. Just clip your nails. Or clean your nails. Or just wear shoes. God damn it. I hate you all. <sighs> okay, so that's my one big beef of the summer. My other big beef of the summer is that Mr. Brad's surgery happened on Memorial Day weekend, which in New York City is Fleet Week. It's when fleets, naval fleets from all around the world come here and all the gay men go crazy. Especially this year because this is the first year without the don't ask, don't tell rule in effect. So I'm assuming there was a lot of cohorting and carousing and good times. And I spent it, you know, going back and forth in the subway, eating an IHOP and sitting in the, uh, sitting at bedside playing Nurse Jane Fuzzy Wuzzy. If you don't know what that is, you have to go back and listen to other episodes and it's not dirty like you think it is. So... In retrospect, as far as fleet weeks go, I saw the least amount of semen this fleet week than I think I ever have in my entire life. There's only half an innuendo in there. So I have been able to see a couple of things. Now, I'm, I'm torn to even talk about any of them because, um, like I said, I think I might have to shift formats for the show or take a vacation or something, maybe go down to just like one show, one, like one review knockoff shows. Just because things are so crazy for the summer, and I don't know how I'm going to be after my particular surgery. But I'm going to at least mention what I saw and if it was good or not. And you can have the whole full review, possibly, in the next couple of weeks. So, first of all, I got to take a very special trip to a private screening. Private industry industry screening of the Sci-Fi Channel's latest movie, Jersey Shore Shark Attack. Now, some of you might remember I got invited to the world premiere of, um, what the hell was that? Mega, no, Mega Python versus Gatoroids with Deborah Gibson and Tiffany. This was nowhere near as glittering an event as that. Otherwise, I would have had my on-the-spot reporter on the scene. This is a private screening party in a very fancy screening room when, you know, very much VIPs and this, that, and the other thing. And it was, you know, it wasn't as D-list studded an event and all just the writers were there. And really, who cares about them? I'm sorry, Sean Keller. Who cares about you really? No, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But here's the thing. I had a great time at the movie. 
I went with Emily from the Deadly Dolls blog. And if you're not reading that, you should because that girl is hilarious. You know, the movie can't possibly be good. It's a sci-fi movie. They, they, they're constructed to be bad in the best possible way. But sometimes they're just bad, bad. This was great bad, I think. The reason I'm confused is because on the way in, they gave you this giant paper bag. And I said, hmm, what is this paper bag for? And when you got into the next room, there was this banquet-sized plate of candies. And you were encouraged to just take as much candy as you want. So by the time that movie started, I was so riding high on sugar high from gummy sharks and malted balls and little cinnamon lobster things and Twizzlers and popcorn and potato chips and pretzels and Kit Kats and Reese's peanut butter bars that I'm surprised I didn't die of diabetes before Joey Fatone got eaten by the shark. Which, by the way, I'm not spoiling because that's apparently the selling point for this movie. Anyway, moving on to more high-class things, I got to see We Need to Talk About Kevin, which is one of my favorite titles because I just stick anybody's name in there. We Need to Talk About Bradford. Yes, we do. (laughs) Because they really did need to talk about Kevin. Uh, This stars Tilda Swinton, and she's this mom, and she's raising this kid, and she's raising a monster. But it's it's not a horror movie. It's not even a thriller. It's a psychological something or other. It's very disturbing. You can see right from the start that this kid has something wrong with him. And the dilemma is, is the kid born this way, Lady Gaga? Or is Tilda Swindon somehow causing it? Or is it both? Or is anybody to blame for the monstrosity that this kid commits when he grows up? You know, whose fault was it? Is, and and it's, it's a really powerful film. I liked it. I will never review that on the show because it's not a horror movie. But uh, if, if you like that kind of a movie, do check it out. It's powerful, powerful stuff. You would not, you're not going to want to go out singing and dancing afterwards. Well, I, I probably would because I'm always singing and dancing. I'm singing and dancing right now. You're probably wondering, how are you doing that while you're talking? And I'll, say, I'll, I'll tell you ancient Chinese secret. <laughs> Finally, I saw a movie called Smile starring Armand Desante. It's about a haunted camera. Avoid like the plague. It is the worst thing I've seen in a long time. So I really have to, have to, have to, have to review this on the show because I have not torn apart a movie in a long time. And Smile is prime for the ripping. Oh, yeah. But kids, let me tell you, we got a jam-packed episode coming up. We've got not one, but two special guests and a trip to the Nightmare Closet. So time for Patrick to stop flapping his gums and start spinning the songs, because it's time to start the show. Why am I Oprah? I don't know. It go flip, flop, flip, flop, Big ass so I can make the ass go 
your left foot up. Put your hands above your waist and switch your legs and go. Beware. Beware. Something's about to come out. Out of the closet. The nightmare closet. <laughs> So, for those of you new to the show, The Nightmare Closet is when I take a little trip back in time and revisit a movie that scared the living shit out of me as a kid. Scared me so badly that I've not been able to watch it since. And that's exactly what we're doing this week. This particular movie that damaged me for life is called The House of Seven Corpses from 1974, starring John Ireland, uh, surprisingly sober John Carradine, and Faith Dummergie. I don't know how to pronounce her name, but she was in everything back in the day. She was in this island earth, and she's... You know what? I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's take a listen to the trailer. Now, hopefully I was able to find a trailer because my initial searches came up with bupkis. And I've called on a couple people who are really good at this to help me track something down because I hate not playing a trailer. But in case there was no trailer, I guess I should just press on. And if you're hearing me babbling about this, there was no trailer. Anyway, the House of Seven Corpses, it's about this house, see? <laughs> it's got these corpses in it. No, for real now. It is about this old house, and this old house has quite a history. It's never really specified what happened there, but there was this talk of devil worship and sacrifices and orgies, but the Beale family lived there, and most of them met horrific ends. All seven of them met horrific ends through whatever dark arts was going on there. And right now, as I'm talking about this, I just realized, okay, this movie was about the Beale family's house. It just occurred to me that the musical director of the New York City Gay Men's Chorus, my our, my beloved British, is also named Beale, Charlie Beale. So now I'm picturing his whole ancestry being involved in, you know, human sacrifice and orgies. And um, it actually explains a lot. Yeah. So as I said, so as I said in uh, episode 60, I tried to watch this while Brad was at the hospital. I'd gotten home, I was really tired, I'm like, I really gotta do something for the show. So I said, alright, let's do this, I've been meaning to do this for a while. You know, I had my little cocktail, and I was sitting in the bed, and I had Sebastian Cat with me, and he was sitting on my chest, and I'm rubbing his belly, and I had to turn the movie off, because it was giving me the Wiggins, it was giving me a bad feeling, and I did not really want to watch it at this time, in this state, especially since there was implied cat violence about to happen at any moment. But I buckled up little campers and I went back and I faced it again with Mr. Brad by my side. Which actually helped because <laughs> he pointed out a lot of things that are hilarious about it. Anyway, what I remembered most about this movie from when I saw it as a child, and I was probably no more than six, no more than seven, it was on broadcast television. And I remember asking my brother what the title meant because I thought it was about cops, the House of Seven Cops. I could read really well, but that word was a new one. They can watch it on my own, which is never smart for a six-year-old. But what I remember most is the opening credits. Scared the Jesus out of me. Just, and all it is, the music's playing, and you see the outside of this big, looming mansion, and you go inside, and you're getting just close-ups of oldie-timey portraits of former residents of the house. And you linger on one portrait for a while, and all of a sudden there's a flashback in time of, of that person being brutally murdered. 
and it'll freeze frame on their death for a while and then move on to the next portrait. So when I sat down to watch it both times, as soon as the title card came up and you saw the shadow of the house, I just went, uh, I don't want to watch this. But I buckled through. And you know what? The credits is the scariest part. It's really weird to say that the, sc- the scariest part of a movie is the opening credits, but it is. The movie is not great, and I'll get into the story in a bit. But what really, really drives it is A, the location, which is terrifying, but B, the score, which I'm probably paying underneath this right now. Now, this is the opening credit theme, and this is what you're seeing when you're seeing the portraits. Now, here it sounds kind of like a church choir from hell, that sort of a thing. But later on in the movie, the incidental music starts to sound like sighs and moans, like if you were walking through an asylum or a hospital and you're hearing people suffering down the hallway, but but it's in harmony. So people are sighing and this moaning and this discordant harmony throughout the rest of the film, and it's unsettling. Makes you wish it was a better movie. Anyway, the movie opens. You finally get through the horrifying credits, and you see Faith Demergay. I don't know how to say her name. I'm sorry. It's French. Hunter, help me out here. Call and tell me how to say her name. And she, she, she's holding some sort of black mass. She's got the candles. She's got the evil eye. She's chanting. She's got pentagrams and all kinds of mystic symbols drawn on the walls and on the floor. She's got a portrait of a cat's head screaming and impaled on, on a pitchfork behind her because that's nice. That, you know, that, I think I saw that at Ikea last week. But then she's doing a ritual and she's got the mystic circle on the ground and she's standing in the circle and she's calling on Satan as she's spinning around slowly in the circle. Spinning and calling Satani. Satani, Satani, and Mr. Brad says if she turns around one more time, she's gonna turn into Wonder Woman. did a wonderful job of diffusing the tension. Because now I started to notice all the things that go wrong in this scene. There's, there's, there's a lot of things happening that are just wrong. Like, for instance, she, like I said, there's a table with candles and the evil eye that she turns, she puts something on, you know, she does this whole thing with a knife, and then she turns away, and then she turns back, and the table is gone. It's Well, actually, it's empty. Everything's gone off the table, and there are different things on the table, so there's continuity errors all over the scene, all because Mr. Brad brought up Wonder Woman, because, you know, she's my Achilles heel or my pillar of strength. Whichever way you want to put it. But it actually turns out she's not really doing a black mass. No, she's just an actress. They're making a movie about the horrible history of this house. And she's there with John Ireland, the director, who is such a prick. He's just like the epitome of the worst director ever. He just yells at everybody all the time. You got the young romantic couple and you got the various cast and crew. And you got John Carradine, who's the caretaker of the house. And he stops the shoot. And he's like, no, 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 that's not how it happened at all. And the director's like, man, I'm making the movie. I'm going to tell my story about it. He doesn't really talk like that, but wouldn't it be amazing if he did? That's not how it happened. Who said that? Cut it. Cut it, I said. What the hell are you doing up there? You just blew my whole scene. What about me? It's my scene. You blew. I'm terribly sorry, but it's just not the way Mrs. Beale committed suicide. I know how she committed suicide, so don't try to tell me how to shoot my picture. I suggest you stay with the truth. The story of the Beale family is more bizarre than anything you can dream up. 
But then Don, Don Carradine just goes to the entire history of the house again, even though you've already heard the history of the house. Well, you know the history of the house because you paid attention to the opening credits, but now you get in a little more detail. And all these deaths said something mysterious about them. You know, the person was beaten to death, but there was nobody in the house. Somebody hung themselves from the rafters where there's no possible way that she could have gotten up there. That sort of thing. And he mentions vaguely the devil worship and orgies and, never, again, never really specific. Now, if you know anything about making movies, you, all the stuff with the movie crew is really kind of hilarious because I watch it going, what movie? How are you making this movie? Because it's one of those deals, you know, like they assume that the movie viewing audience doesn't know how movies are made because they'll, they'll, they'll shoot a scene once and somehow they've got it from all angles, even though there's only one camera and that sort of thing. There's no sound guy. There's sometimes no lighting guy. And, and if, this per, if this production is as big a production as they said, it's really weird to see other, like the crew is all doing 95 different jobs. Like I understand it might be a low budget movie, but I'm going, there's also some sort of union rules. You know, it's silly things like the special effects just happen on their own sometimes. Sometimes they'll stop and they'll do a rig, but sometimes they just happen. Magically. Anyway, that might just be me being nitpicky because Lord knows I can do that. But it's funny. One of the things that I remember from seeing it as a kid was that this Faith Dumbergay actress, who I'm going to call by her character name from now on. Her name is Gail. Gail? Not Oprah's Gail, but Gail Gail. I remember not liking her character at all. I kept calling her the mean old lady. And one of the memories I had from it, distinctly, one of the things that scared the hell out of me, I remember her walking backwards and all of a sudden hands coming out of the wall and dragging her away. And I kept waiting for that to happen. But as I watched the movie this time, I realized that she's really not a mean old lady. I mean, she's angry. She's a middle-aged movie actress, and she's been a star. You know, she was in the MGM stuff, and she did all the big studios. She's had her career, but now she's 45 and can't get a job. She's married to the director, John Ireland, who, like I said, is a prick, who keeps reminding her that she's lucky to have this shitty job and keeps telling her, by all means, leave. Go back to Hollywood and see how easy it is and see what kind of job you can get now, you old bitch. Listen, baby. What you're pulling might have worked in the studios ten years ago, but not here and not now. And sure as hell not on my picture. You're hurting me. Okay, go on, leave. But you're walking, all right. And when you get there, you're going to find out just how tough it is for a middle-aged beauty queen to get a job in the acting profession. Or even in the profession I first found you in. So I felt really bad for her, even though she was cranky. But you know what? She had ferocious hair, even though she was always in polyester. I, I digress. Now... The unfortunate part of this movie, I'm saying it like it's a terrible movie. It's an odd movie because it's just got this weird vibe. A lot of it's through the music, and a lot of it's because the plot is not particularly coherent. Not a lot happens. It's not even a mood piece. It's, it's, I don't really, I, how can I describe it? Okay, all the great stuff happens at the beginning. Got these great opening credits, and then you got a pretty interesting last 15 minutes. In between, it's all movie-making bullshit with some suspense and some atmosphere. A lot of people walking around in the dark. A lot of it that goes on for too long. A lot of people being really insensitive about awful things. But somewhere, in, there's that heart of it. That like, there's, there's a heart to it as well. Because like I mentioned, that uh, the, this, this character of Gail, she's going through this middle-age crisis as, uh, as an actress. So is her counterpart, who's the actor whose name I don't remember. But he's, he's wearing a toupee and a mustache all the time. And he thinks nobody knows. And he's drunk. And you think he's going to be the comic character, but he has this scene that's really poignant. They really feel for him. He goes back to his room at the end of the night, and he takes off his wig. And you see, oh, my God, he's wearing a wig for the first time. And he takes off his mustache. And he's drunk, and he's trying to quote Shakespeare, looking in the mirror. And he can't remember the line. And he's looking at himself, and he's looking how old he is. And he takes Vaseline, some of the Vaseline he uses to take off his makeup, and just smears it across the mirror. Gentle, perchance you wonder at this show. 
then wander on. Till truth make all things plain. This man This man Mr. Brad didn't understand. He's like, what the hell was that supposed to mean? I'm like, well, that's how they made Lucille Ball look younger in MAME. That's how they make Sybil Shepard look young in Moonlighting. You know, it's that weird fuzzy thing. They put Vaseline on the lens, it makes you look younger. He's like, oh, I didn't know that. That's because you're ignorant. Now, during the course of the film, this guy, this, this younger guy, the, the romantic leady type guy, I don't understand what he's doing. He's like the assistant director. He's, he's the line director. He's the best boy, and he's an actor in the film, I think. And he finds the Tibetan Book of the Dead among all these book, books of witchcraft. And he's like, hey, there's some really groovy passages in here we can use for the ceremonies. And he keeps harping on him. He gets more and more obsessed with the Tibetan Book of the Dead. To the point where his girlfriend's like getting really annoying about it. And she's just like, how come you're always reading that book and not pounding my little blonde poo tank? As Mr. Brad put it, that is exactly what he said. Eventually, he gets the director to use some of this material in one of the ceremonies. And guess what? It wakes the dead. Casita non cafela et publia fili omnibus suis. I have been awaiting your return from the dead. Behind the house, there's a, there's a graveyard out back with seven graves. Or actually, I should say eight graves, as we learn later. One of them's not marked. Because John Garrity and the caretaker can't find where it is. There's some strange business like that. So anyway, all of a sudden, somebody starts digging their way out. Blah, blah, blah. So we got a shuffling zombie ghoul thing who comes and starts killing everybody, pretty much like the way the characters died during the opening credits. Little differences here and there. And some of the stuff is kind of funny. Because <laughs> this is character of Don, who we really like. Don is the lighting slash makeup guy slash script supervisor slash everything slash special effects guy. And he's just over everything. He's this little bearded guy. He just, just hates everybody. Miserable at this job. And it turns out he's act this guy, Don, was actually the makeup and special effects guy on this movie. So he's basically playing himself, which is why it's fun. But um, his death is funny. Some of the deaths are funny. Maybe intentionally so. I don't know. All of a sudden it got to the part where I'm like, oh no, this is the part. This is the part where the hands come out of the wall and get Gale. And they did. And I still shed a brick. Still scared the hell out of me. Mr. Brad was like, that was it. I'm like, shut up. I'm traumatized. I'm reliving my trauma. Now, the thing, too, in the last 20 minutes, it's really confusing. This is where it gets confusing because it turns out, well, I don't know how it turns out because there's one ghoul shuffling around. Every day I'm shuffling. And all of a sudden, it turns out the young guy who's reading the Tibetan Book of the Dead, he's involved in all this somehow. He set all this up. He brought them there. He's one of the missing family members because I mentioned those portraits at the beginning. 
the last thing they show you it was an empty frame, like da da da, and you find out that there was one son who disappeared. Oh, it's him, but he's been dead for a hundred years. But it's this guy who's on the crew. Oh my God, what's going on? And he falls into the open grave or some shit like that, and he comes out as another ghoul, or is it the same ghoul? I'm not really sure because he was nowhere around when everybody was being killed. He was out the director shooting stuff outside, but yet people were being killed inside. So now, is there one ghoul? Is is there two ghouls? Has he been dead the whole time, or did, did he become possessed somehow by the house? In between. We don't know. We argued about it forever. Mr. Brad was obsessed. He's like, but wait, what went on? <laughs> I demand an explanation. I don't understand. I'm like, I don't think there is any answer. But it's a cool downbeat ending because nobody lives. Sorry, spoiler. And if you can figure out what went on, by all means, write me, call me, tell me. Because I have no idea. But that still doesn't make me not recommend it. It's kind of an interesting misfire, and it still gave me the Wiggins. Every time I got, it got to a part that I remembered, my gut locked up. You know, I was digging my nails into my leg or something like that, or squeezing the cat too hard so his eyes bulged out and rolled across the floor. No, that would be gross. That actually happened in the movie, so I shouldn't really say that. But the House of Seven Corpses. Actually, I think it's up to 14 now. I did math. Vicky's getting ready for the prom. Good morning, prom queen. Only nominated, not the winner. But she's about to get a... Uh, wait a minute, that's not right. No, we're not going to go to the prom this week. Yeah, sorry, Mary Lou. Uh, yeah, as I originally advertised, you know, I had special guests on to talk about Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night 2, but the internet gods being what they are, well, let's just say the file got fucked up. So I have half an interview with these people. Because that's the kind of week this is. You know, this is the l- typical about this. You know, fuck June. I said fuck May last time. Fuck June too. Fuck the last half of May and fuck the first half of June. So Gemini, all you can just go to hell. Okay? Go to hell and die. So, I decided to push Hello Mary Lou, Prom Night 2, back to next week. And hopefully I can get the two special guests back together again. And we can pick up where the... Good part of the interview leaves off and regains some of the magic that has been lost to the ether. And um, instead, we're going to have another crapshoot. Yay! Hold on to your pampers, bitch asses. It's time for the crapshoot! <laughs> Pull! 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 
Now, of course, for those of you who have been listening for a while, you know damn well that the crapshoot is the portion of the program where I dive headfirst into the vast sea of direct-to-DVD horror movie releases in search of that diamond in the shit pile. And since I'm going to talk about the movie Smile that I mentioned in the intro, you already know this is a huge piece of shit. So let's just cut to the cheese and listen to the trailer. The Atlas Mountains are here, and we are down... Hey guys, listen to this. The Atlas Mountains have been the theater of a million dreadful legends and ominous fables. So what are you saying? The mountains are haunted? Wait. What's the matter? My camera's missing. Hello? May we help you? Is that a 1966 instant camera? 25 euro. Really? Why not? What is a great moment if you cannot prove that you've had it? Excuse me. Do you speak English? What do you want? We're lost. That you are. Did you take a picture of me with that camera? I got it from a man in a curio shop. Whoever that camera captures in its evil pictures dies. Hey, wait! Now, Smile is the story of a group of college co-eds, allegedly, versus an evil haunted camera out in the woods of Morocco. Yeah, they decide that they're going to go on a road trip to go camping in the haunted mountains of Morocco. Allegedly, they're haunted by demons that have flames for hands. Are they? Are they not? I don't know, because we never see them, and they never come up again. But along the way, first of all, let me tell you who we're dealing with. We got a whole van full of assholes. Now, the main girl, whose name, who the fuck cares? She, <laughs> she fancies herself a photojournalist. So she wants to take pictures of absolutely everything and everyone that they come in contact with the whole time. And the reason we know this is because of this introductory voiceover montage scene that feels like it should be at the beginning of Clueless or one of those early 90s teen films than in a horror movie. It's, it's just trying to be zippy and peppy and it looks like a clear cell ad and I, 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 I it, it didn't set the tone at all and just kind of made me hate everybody already because like I said it feels like a teen movie and they're passing these people off as college students but they are clearly not now I know everybody makes fun of the horror genre because they're always casting you know 30 40 year old people to play high school students but these douchebags are really, really, really not only long in the tooth, but they look really hard because they're all these European supermodel types. So the angles are really harsh and the makeup's too overdone and just, it's, it's, it looks like French Vogue decided to make a horror movie. So they all got that heroin chic look going on that's not particularly appealing. Now along the way, the photojournalist girl gets her camera stolen in the most obvious bait and switch routine that I've ever seen. I can't believe it. She might as well just hand it over the camera because they get in a car accident, but it's really a setup. You know, it's the, the woman gets out of the car and she's like, oh, oh, my baby, you hurt my baby, my baby. Except she's saying it like, because we're in Morocco. And photojournalist goes like, oh, I will help your baby. And when the girl takes the baby, the mother reaches into her open purse, which the girl has pretty much thrust in her face and said, this camera on the top. 
and runs off with the camera. And they're like, but your baby. But there's really a dead monkey in the, that's wrapped up in, a, in swaddling clothes because that's nice. I'm like, hey, dead monkey for a camera. That's a great swap. That's a much more interesting souvenir than a bunch of fucking Polaroids. Because this girl's working with Polaroids. Why? I don't know. I'm a photojournalist and I use Polaroids. Okay. So now she's bitching because, oh, no, my whole trip is ruined because I do not have my photojournalist Polaroid camera to document all of my friends and the wonderful places that we are going to go and see. Patrick, why are you talking like that? I'll tell you why I'm talking like that. Because this movie is dubbed. Dubbed, 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 dubbed. It's an Italian movie. But it's one of those Italian movies that they filmed with Italian actors speaking English and then dubbed them over with American voiceover actors. So it's got that weird disconnect. Now, this was actually working for me for a bit. Because it felt like it was a kind of a nostalgic throwback to those 70s movies with, you know, Dario Argento and, and Mario Bava. It had that feel to it, that weird disconnect and that surrealness where the nothing's really quite matching up it's almost matching up but not enough and everything's always too loud or too soft or too loud or too soft and usually at the exact opposite time of when it should be so that was amusing me for a while well, not for long though so now we're stuck in the middle of the desert this girl's bitching and she's like well i have to go get another camera and she's wandering around this arabian city which doesn't look like it has anything in it, to be perfectly honest. She's like, I'm looking for a camera shop. I don't think they have a working toilet, sweetheart. But she goes off by herself, and lo and behold, she comes across an antique shop. And it's run by Armando Sande, who is a legendary Italian actor. And you know, he's got movie credits you know, that go on for you know, 40 years, wonderful Oscar-winning things, and, and brilliant television appearances, and now he's in this piece of shit, so you're going, huh, okay. But anyway, he runs this antique shop. So she goes in there looking for a camera, because that makes sense. This place has a golden llama in the window. They'll definitely have a camera. So she goes in, and lo and behold, there's a little girl in there who's holding a really old 1960s vintage Polaroid camera. And the girl's like, smile, and it's about to take a picture, but Armand Sante stops her and goes, no, 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 no. And the girl's like, oh my God, is that a 1966 blah, 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 Polaroid vintage camera? And he's like, yes, see, see it is. She's like, I simply must have it. He's like, no, I cannot sell it to you. She's like, please, he says, no. She goes, please, he goes, no. She goes, please, he goes, I will if you stop whining. And he throws it at her. And when she catches it, she cuts her finger and the blood goes into the camera. And you're like, oh no, oh no, what's going to happen? And he goes, you can have it, then you can have it for free. She's like, really? And he goes, yes, you can have it for free. And by the way, here's a roll of film for it. It's the only roll of film for it in existence. So take your pictures wisely. Take pictures of your friends. And just your friends. She's like, okay, and leaves. I'm like, what a weird thing to say. So, okay, so now you have a Polaroid camera that's got, like, what, 10 photos in it, and you're, uh, whatever. Okay, I have this ruined, how this, whatever. I don't know why she took the camera. I don't know why she wanted the camera, but she took the camera. When, they, when she leaves, the little girl's like, bye-bye. When the camera pans back, you see the girl has no back of a head. Like, her brain's all hanging out, like, blah, 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 like, That's rude. That's very peculiar. She's going to get some kind of infection. I hope she washed her hands before she threw that camera at her. So now here we are. We're back on the road again. We're back on the road again. And we've got this camera. And of course she takes pictures of her friends. But no, the camera's cursed. So everyone who winds up in a picture that's taken with this camera dies. They die. And to be perfectly honest, this setup is not awful. To be perfectly honest, this setup sounded like something that came out of Friday the 13th, the series. 
As a matter of fact, I think I saw this story on Friday the 13th, the series. A lot of this is working for me right now, because like I said, it's got that disconnect that's making me think of 1970s horror movies, you know, Italian horror movies, so that's working. The scenery is gorgeous. Morocco is beautiful. This this little town that they're in, or the city, or whatever the hell you want to call it, is so exotic and beautiful, and the deserts are just striking. Just amazingly dazzling that you just wish it made me think that this movie actually had production values. But it doesn't. The other thing it doesn't have any likable or identifiably normal behaving characters. No, it's a whole van full of douchebags. Even worse, Euro trash douchebags. Sorry, Woody. Okay, you got the you got camera happy chick. You got the guy that, you know, they're kinda like, ooh, are we gonna get in a relationship? I kinda like you, you kinda like me. Oh my god, what's gonna happen? Do I care? No, die. Just die. We also have these two Moroccan locals that go to college with them that are supposed to supposedly guiding them on this trip, yet I see no guidance going on whatsoever. Just a lot of bitching and and fornicating, but not enough fornicating to make it interesting. But anyway, not the point right now. And you got two of her girlfriends. You got the redhead hippie chick who writes poetry and haikus, usually on the spots. And I would probably push her out of the van if I was in there with her. Just like, I love your artistic creativity, but shut the fuck up! I'm trying to sleep! I got the other friend who's blonde and brought heels on a camping trip. You know that one? She's like, what? We're going to go camping haunted mountains? Nobody tell me that. Where am I supposed to plug in my hair dryer? Like, how about your ass? How about you plug it in your ass? And finally, you got the character who ruins the movie. Tommy. Tommy, can you hear me? If you can, die. Because Tommy's from L.A., and I guess they thought it was funny to make the character from L.A. unbearably obnoxious. Illogically obnoxious. If you say black, he says white. He picks fights that don't need to be picked. He has temper tantrums over nothing. He's the character that gets everybody killed, so thank you, this one bitch. He's not really that one bitch, because he's like, really the girl with the camera's fault. But, you know, he does his own share. Ugh. And at this point, I'm still entertained by the backdrop, but at this point, I'm starting to notice that watching these six, seven people interact with each other is making me want to rip out my own eyes. They're just hard. Just somebody, something happened. Something happened. Anything. Anything. Advance the story. Advance the character. Get back in the van. Start driving. Take a fucking picture. I don't care. But anyway, the girl who didn't want to go camping decides in the middle of nowhere that she's not going to go on the rest of the trip. She's like, no, I'm just going to find the train station and I'll just go home on my own. But I'm not going to tell anybody that I'm going except Tommy. And say, Tommy, could you tell everybody that I left? So you know she's going to die because she's the first one to get her picture taken. What she does, she goes to the train station and something happens to her. I don't know. It looked like some kind of blade came flying around the corner and I don't know. It's one of those kind of movies. All the violence is off screen, so baffles me what the hell's going on. But does Tommy tell anybody? No. They're all like the next morning like, hey, where's Dumbass? And he's like, like, okay, let's go camping without her because we're in the middle of nowhere. She's fine. What bad thing could possibly happen to her in the middle of nowhere in a place in a language that she doesn't speak? Well, she wound up in a movie like this. The worst has already happened to her. They finally go camping. And they meet this local guy in the woods, you know, this local Arab guy, and he's killing a deer. And I, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. I'm talking about this movie, and I don't care. The big twist in all of this is that not only do the people die, they take pictures of them, they die killed by whatever is in the picture with them 
which leads to some really obscure deaths. They're trying to be Final Destination here, and it's failing miserably. Like, the girl in the picture, I guess she had a butter knife because she was eating bread at the time, so she got killed by a blade. Somebody else, you know, had a... There was too much. It was overexposed, so they got hit by lightning. (laughs) I don't think... If I was in the movie, I probably would have been holding an enchilada or something. You guys figure that out. (laughs) (laughs) A rubber duck. I don't know. This movie is so painfully boring. It's boring, and it's obnoxious, and I hated everybody and here's the thing like when they run into this arab guy in the woods skidding the deer they come up to him like do you speak english the guy playing the arab has like a perfect american accent they're like i can't understand him (laughs) so stupid i can't stand this movie i hate everybody involved in this movie and the thing was it just i just wanted tommy to die when they start to figure out that there's something wrong with the camera, actually, they, this guy, this Arab guy, for some reason recognizes the camera. He's like, you did not take my picture with that camera. I don't know why he's Spanish now. You did not take my picture with that camera, did you? Because everyone who has the picture taken with that camera dies. So what does Tommy do? Go and take everybody else's picture who didn't have the picture taken. Thanks, Dick. Including the guy who just told him that. I have never seen a bunch of people so nonplussed by the people around them being killed. Not at all. Not at all. Like, the friend gets hit by lightning. That's the first death that they're really super aware of among them. And Tommy's like, we can't leave. We can't go to the police. They'll think we had something to do with it. Okay, Ben Franklin, what'd you do? (laughs) Are you Tommy Tesla? Is that what you're saying? But just bullshit thing like this. And they get lost in the woods and they can't. Do you care? Because I don't care. There's no gore. There's no suspense. It's boring, 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 boring. And at the end, it doesn't even make any sense. At no point does anybody say, hey, let's destroy the camera. No, let's continue to take pictures with it. Why are we still taking pictures with the camera? Take more of Tommy. Speed this along. Because had he died earlier in the movie, a lot of this would have been more palatable. But no, he's got to be the last one to die. So you got to deal with his bullshit up until the last possible goddamn minute. And then there's the explanation. Okay, apparently Armand Asante was a crime photographer back in the day until his he went to a crime scene to take a picture to turn it. It was his little girl that was killed. It was the victim. And that was a little girl we saw in the shop. So apparently they're both dead because he has not aged. And somehow this drove him crazy. And instead of just taking pictures of crimes, he would actually do the killing and take pictures of the crimes. So I don't know how that haunted the camera, but it did. Why he's back from the dead, I don't know. It turns out that Arab guy in the woods was another victim of his, which is weird because Tommy takes his picture and he gets killed again. I'm like, wait, you killed a ghost? Okay, I don't know what's going on. I don't really care what's going on. So fuck this movie. Fuck this movie. Fuck this movie. Fuck this movie. And the thing is, I talked. I mentioned this on, on Facebook. I'm like, I'm watching this movie called Smile. And he goes, ooh, is it based on the flop Broadway musical by Marvin Hamlish? And I said, no, no, it's not. But I really wish it was. Because that would have been a hell of a lot better than what I just fucking sat through. The tagline for this movie on the, promo- on the posters is point, shoot, die. I wanted it to be called point, shoot, Because it's so, 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 so awful. And the trailer actually looks pretty good. It's one of those sneaky trailers that you don't know it's dubbed. So fuck them. Fuck you, marketing company. Fuck everybody involved in this movie. Fuck you. And you know, fuck you, internet, for fucking up this goddamn recording of me and my two special guests and Hello, Mary Lou, prom night two. Had that recording remained intact, this review would never have had to exist. And my shitty week would have been a little less shitty. But no!
So fuck Smile, fuck Armand Asante, fuck Polaroid, fuck Morocco, fuck enchiladas, and fuck you too. Just because. It's just an extra fuck you. I'm going. <laughs> Let's listen to the. <laughs> Let's listen to the flop Broadway musical Smile by Marvin Hamlish. Ha! Huh? Suffer, suffer, suffer. Okay, I blew it. I'm washed up. But you've got a real shot. God, there's so much I could teach you. Like what? I guess I should have before, but we were in competition. Okay. For starters, Robin, you have got to wear pantyhose. Bare legs look splotchy under the lights. They do? Disgusting. And here. Here, use this on the bottom of your leotard. What's that? Spray glue. All the Miss Americas use it on their bathing suits to keep them from riding up. And Robin, you have got to smile more. Look, I'd smile till my gums are raw. You ought to be putting Vaseline on your teeth so your lips glide over. All the girls do it. You're kidding. The redhead uses enough to grease a flagpole. And there's more. Lots more. You didn't jump up and down enough when Sandra won. And you didn't even cry when you won yourself. The judges are looking for lots of emotion. Give them emotion. We'll get rid of those dumb little bones that you wear Line your eyes with a little more white And we'll sneak just a hint of gold spray in your hair So it shines when it catches the light Tomorrow night Stars children, what a way to kick off the voicemail section. Ooh, the rest of you got a lot to live up to. Lord Almighty, Lauren, thank you so much. That was very sweet of you. And also, I just wanted to say, for those who are like, your birthday, wasn't that like a month ago? Yes, it was. Well, it's as long as I say it is, goddammit. But Lauren had kind of sort of mentioned something on the Screamers fan page, you know, on Facebook. And I said, what? That can't possibly be. And if that can be, then it will not do, do. 
and it didn't do, so I made it undoed, and I found the voicemail, and there it is, and I'm so glad I found it, because it was extremely, extremely, extremely sweet. Lauren, Gold Star. And as always, Gold Stars cannot be redeemed for a tiara, ever. Hey, Patrick, it's Justin again from Hello. the UK. Hi, Justin. Uh, just recovered from my plugging. Um, uh, yeah, again, love the show. Uh, Chernobyl Dairies. Might be, uh, yeah, got that wrong. Diaries even sounds like a real stinker. So I shall be sure to avoid that. Um, Which is a shame because I love the paranormal activity movies. Oh, yeah, me too. Um, uh, uh, What else? Oh, yeah, I was going to say, one of your callers was asking about ghost movies and what um, to recommend. Yes, Um, I just came up with a couple um, uh, which you may or may not have seen. Um, It's the, uh, some of my favourites, the old M.R. James, um, the BBC adaptations of um, uh, Whistle and I Come to You and also. Charles Dickens, The Signalman, um, which are really quite scary, quite eerie, and they're definitely worth mm. uh, checking checking out. On a slightly cheesier note, there's Ooh, um, like there's a film uh, from 1982, which is uh, I saw with my mother, I seem to remember, um, mm. uh, called Don't Go to Sleep, <gasps> um, which is kind of quite a cheesy, but also quite a little bit scary Without affair um, about a family haunted by the ghost of um, yes, 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 their yes, yes, eldest yes, yes. daughter who dies in a in a car crash, and she basically comes back to claim them one by one in a kind of flashy movie styley. Um, and it's got a scene which has always stayed with me, which is um, where she's walking upstairs and she's got a pizza cutter, one of those circular <laughs> pizza cutters, and she's taking it up the up the, the stairwell, um, cutting it into the banister. Mm. And for some reason that will stay with me. It's probably incredibly cheesy now, but um, but that probably makes it even better. We'll talk. Um, and at the risk of going over the five-minute mark, um, Patrick, your story, or not you, obviously, but um, somebody taking a, um, a toke of a random joint somewhere oh, yes, brought that, back that a hideous memory for me, probably like a flashback. Uh-huh. Um, a similar thing happened to me many, many years ago, or maybe oh, not okay. me, maybe it was somebody I know, but um, uh, let's say it's for me for argument's sake. But uh, um, I got offered uh, a toke, and I had a token. I don't know what was in that but it mm. wasn't good for me and mm. I went to see Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds um, at Brixton Academy with some friends and I knew things were going wrong we'd already had quite a lot to drink but um, <laughs> Blixer Bargeld who um, was the bassist I think um, who was always very skinny yes. he was incredibly fat like a big flat fat, flat, fat goth toad on stage and yeah. I was so okay. wasted I could see two of him and he's looking oh. right at me and that was very difficult um, so I felt very paranoid but then I thought I'd get myself together Justin and just get through the evening so oh, I no. did that kind of exaggerated drunk person trying to be sober oh, no. um, all the way through oh. and being very polite to everyone and that carried through <laughs> to the Indian restaurant when we got um, um, at the end of the night and everything was fine I managed to keep myself looking sober you yeah. know as you, you think I'll you bet. do anyway until the pudding turned up. Oh, no, not the pudding. And um, they laid this lovely-looking lemon pudding on my plate. Okay. And I picked it up, and I put it in my mouth, and I started to bite it. And mm-hmm. I couldn't chew through it. And I kind of looked up and around, and everyone was looking at me. And it was one of those things where you hear kind of um, sort of cutlery hitting plates, <laughs> and there's silence. And no. I, oh, I started pulling it again, and I was pulling it again. And I couldn't chew through this pudding. And I was thinking, why is everyone looking at me? It's making me really paranoid. The waiters were looking at me with their mouths open, and I was thinking, what the hell is going on? And it was a bit like, I don't know if you remember that film Bachelor Party with yes. um, Tom Hanks, 
where I think there's a scene in it where um, uh, a man puts his penis in a hot dog roll and then gives it to a woman <laughs> at a table and she keeps on yanking at it because she can't believe <laughs> it is a penis. And a strange it was right here in my palm. What it turned out was in my mouth was actually the, the hand towel, lemon-scented hand towel. What? And the more my brain started to realise that, the more I couldn't accept it and the more I tried <laughs> to chew it through it like some kind of rabid drunk person until someone took it out of my um out, out of my mouth and put it on the plate and then we got the bus home and um and so i blame that on the joint not too much yeah, drink. No, clearly. Um, and of course my abiding memory of the rest of the that morning home on the bus on the train back from london was delicately getting out at every station and being sick on the bin on the oh, way home so yes don't do drugs fun. kids so, fantastic show, Patrick, and wow. hopefully I haven't gone over the five-minute mark. I haven't heard the buzzer, but wow. um, no, I think I'm just coming up to it. So, looking forward to what you're coming up with next, and uh, yeah, wow. speak to you soon, Patrick. Take care. Oh, Justin, 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 I had to actually turn the recording material off for a moment so I could tell Mr. Brad what had me howling like a, well, a howler monkey for the past three minutes, and we are both just shaking our heads. Tisk, tisk, tisk. No, that is an amazing story. Oh, my God. Oh, my goodness gracious. I can't even, I can't, I can't even be, you know what? Let me go to the beginning of your call for a minute. First of all, Thank you for calling in with ghost movie recommendations. I don't think anybody else did that. Some people did it on Twitter. Um, some people did it on um, the Facebook page. But you're the only one who's called in, so you know what that means, Justin. Gold Star. And, of course, a legal reminder that gold stars cannot be redeemed for a tiara ever. Uh, the two BBC ones I have not heard of, but we don't usually get things over here very often. Um... Some of the better ones that I've heard about, like uh, The Woman in Black, uh, we, we can't get it over here. You know, we got to kind of have to sneak it through on YouTube and things like that. I could not make out the first title, but The Signalman, I've read the story, and that's a pretty creepy story, but um, thank you for the tip. And don't go to sleep. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I watched that with my mother when it was on broadcast TV here, and it had Valerie Harper from um, the Mary Tyler Moore Show and Rhoda and, 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 and uh, what the other, Valerie's family, of course. Yeah, that's pretty good, actually. Um, it scared the hell out of us. The pizza cutter is the most striking visual in the whole thing, and it is haunting and brilliantly shot that you're getting the pretty much – it's not exactly a pizza cutter eye view, but as close to that as you can get. And I've seen it. I've seen it. I saw it recently. I actually tracked it down on one of those sites where you can get, you know, rare DVDs and such. And it's still not bad. It's not as cheesy as you might think, even though it's made for TV. So it's got some. It's pretty mild. The problem is, is that it's really, 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 really painfully slow. Because they have it stretched out for two hours, and it feels like it's stretched out for two hours. But still, when it works, it really works. And Ruth Gordon was in that, too. She was the grandmother who got iguanid to death. I want iguana. That didn't make any sense. And the kid from Poltergeist, the boy who got eaten by the tree, who didn't, was not as lucky as he was then in this movie. Did that make sense? Too bad. Let's move on. You know, <laughs> now, let's talk about your friend here, your friend that you were talking about. You know, that friend that wasn't you. Eric. Yeah, it was definitely Eric. It's a very Irish thing to do. Um, <laughs> I can't, oh, gosh. The worst part of that is that feeling that, you know, I have to make sure that nobody knows that anything is wrong thing. So I can actually see you sit, <laughs> sitting there after everyone has figured out 
is what's going on, that you've figured out what's going on, that you've actually got a hand towel in your mouth that you think is pudding, that you are trying to chew through a hand towel, but God damn it, if I stop and I acknowledge the fact that I have a hand towel in my mouth that I am trying to chew through because I think it is a lemon pudding, then everyone's going to know I'm stoned. Bradford is laughing behind me because he has he's never had anything like that happen to him. God, Justin, I mean, that is horrific. Horrific. If I saw it in a movie, I wouldn't believe it. But, you know, since it's Eric and he's complete trash, I completely believe it. 100%. And, uh, hey, it's a good thing that you called today, or rather that I found your call today, because you know what came in the mail today? Your book. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Justin is a published author. He's had a book out in the UK for a while called Teenage Wasteland, and it's all about his specialty, 80 slasher movies. And it finally got um, published over here in the States, and it is now called... It's called the Slasher Movie Book. A somewhat reductive title, but hey, it gets the job done. I like Teenage Wasteland better, but you know, am I the publisher? No, I'm not. That's not the point right now, because I got my copy in the mail today, and I gotta say, it looks gorgeous. Um, I have a lot of other books about the, the genre and that era, and none of them look anything like this. This is a incredibly colorful book with tons and tons of memorabilia and rare stills and uh, just the cover is incredibly striking as well and I cannot wait to start digging through it and I cannot wait to get it autographed in person someday by you just in case you were wondering because I realized I was saying that I could go get it autographed by anybody but that would be weird and I'll be sure to include a link in the show notes where people can go to buy your book I'm sure it's on Amazon so go over and search um, over there but I'll, I'll be more direct in the show notes how about that how about that but I am weird. But anyway, thank you, Justin, for plugging me on the show and also for plugging me on Kinder Trauma. That was really cool because I love Kinder Trauma and any mention I get on there it makes me very happy. So I've plugged you back. One hand plugs the other. Now, that doesn't sound right. But you know, the moral of this call is beware of the pudding. Next call. Hey, Patrick, it's Headshot Heather. I know hey, I don't pretty call lady. often, but just wanted to let you know that I am still listening. I do Yay. still love you, and I hope you had a wonderful birthday, and I hope yeah. Mr. Brad is doing much better. Eh. Love to y'all, and sorry I don't call more frequently, but I tend to ramble, so bye. Uh, oh, okay, well, that was terse, but uh, heartfelt, Heather. Nicely done. Um, thank you for calling in. Thank you for the sentiments. That is all lovely. It's wonderful to hear from you, even though that was rather brief. It's always wise to err on the side of brevity. Uh, Heather, Headshot Heather, if you're not familiar with her, she is the wife of uh, Tony Fayville, who wrote uh, the Kings of the Dead uh, novel, which is very popular, a zombie novel, and she writes for Double Shot Reviews. Actually, she is Double Shot Reviews. And that's reviews of short stories and, and novels, and mostly from the horror and, and sci-fi fantasy stuff. And she just wrote a lovely review, not only of the short story... Mrs. Lumley's Masks, but of my brilliant reading of it that I did in episode 51. So thank you for that, Heather, and thank you for calling in, and thank you for just being Heather. Patrick, it's Lauren. Um, hey. Thank you so much for uh, the Chernobyl Diaries episode, and thanks uh, for sitting through that. So well, we won't have to. Someone has um, to. It sounds like my uh, my happy birthday message was eaten during all your technical difficulties no, it wasn't. in the unhappy I found birthday it. episode. So just wanted to wish an extra happy birthday to you, Ooh, Mr. I get Brad, it again. and then the universe <laughs> shit on both of you by uh, precluding Mr. Brad from pooping. 
Uh, um, but you still got to mm. show it there, and it's been kind of a rough, you know, time for me. Girl, so, uh, okay. I really appreciate it. Oh, um, and I've been watching movies you suggested. I would love it if you know you need to do a a, a blood and lace commentary because the whole time I was watching it, I enjoyed it so much more by having your <laughs> like your comments in my head. Um, I love hearing the clips of the early HBO theme on the show, and I can imagine like the le- like the letter graphics, and it totally takes me back. Um, also, oh my gosh, someone's backing at the door. I loved it. I can't wait to watch Runny Kill Kill. I seem to develop some sort of a weird crush on Noah Stegan, even though he's bizarre and freaky. Oh yeah, and freaky, freaky hot weird sense. And the hungry badge thing—that's crazy. And the little Leah Michelle girl, who's really codependent, it sounded like she was trying to channel Vern. Because when she was like getting Vern? chased by the fat guy with the big ding dong, and she was like, "Oh yeah, why?" Oh yeah, Vern, yeah. So she, was, she was trying to channel Vern, but I don't think she quite made it. And uh, first steps with Amy Steele was that the one where she has like a worst accent? She's not a rider. Yes, she does, that's I guess the one. She said she was a runner. Uh huh. Um, but I seem to remember like glimpses of a movie like that. Uh huh. That's the one. I think Amy Steele was in it, and she had some some accident. And uh, but anyway, I'm gonna go before the buzzer hits me. Dun, dun. And uh, dun, 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 dun. keep up the awesome work, Patrick. You're my wonder wall. Not really. Those guys are, are British. They, and, they, um, okay. You know we're of the other Hibernian background. But anyway, Where are we going. Love you. Bye. Okay, that's a good place to go. Lauren, my darling, thank you, thank you, thank you for calling in. And you lied because I found your voicemail. Thank you for tipping me off to it, though. It was just sitting there, waiting for somebody to find it. Uh, it just got buried in the slough that week. But now you got you got special feature position. And you got double feature position. And I got double birthday wishes. Yay for me! You totally confused me when you said that 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 the codependent girl was channeling Vern because I don't know I was thinking the wrong Vern I was thinking of you know what I mean Vern but that's Vern I, that's Vern you know what I mean Vern you know but that's not Vern that's Ernest and he went to hell because he's dead but no Veronica Cartwright that girl wishes she was Veronica Cartwright you know what she can't be Veronica Cartwright because that stupid bitch didn't die Veronica Cartwright Veronica Cartwright always dies always even if she doesn't she does in my head <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying um I'm sorry you've been having rough times that always blows I'm sorry I'm I'm happy I can help you through them I'm happy my horrible times are helping you through your horrible times talk about codependent and um I don't know, I've always thought about doing one of those commentary things, but, you know, we'll see. We'll see someday. I'll add that to the list of gabillion things I plan to do with this show someday. But thank you for calling in. Thank you for the birthday wishes. Thank you for being awesome. And thank you for, I don't know, thank you for letting me be myself again. Hey, it's Joe and Sensi. I'm calling about my Hello, take on handsome. some of the movies that I've uh, seen recently. Oh, good. And first of all, uh, I just wanted to say that I really enjoyed having homework uh, for this next episode. Ooh. Uh, hopefully I make this in time to record the next episode. But um, I saw both of the movies, The House of the Seven Corpses and uh-huh. Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, first one was at times difficult to watch for me. It was kind of as if the movie maker was trying to draw out some of those things longer in order to build suspense, but it didn't work out uh, no. very well. Um, 
for instance, like halfway through the movie, uh, there's a dead body trying to get out of the grave, and it's like it takes for like five freaking minutes for it to do it. You know, keep coming back and forth, splicing back and back to this the scene of this hand Carter claw out, and it was just like get out already. And also some of the other uh, kill um, kill scenes. It just took. It seemed like it took a long, long time as he was trying to build a suspense for the yeah, actual think- kill, but it just took too long, and so it was just. It was long. To you knew where it was going. But um, I also saw uh, the Prom Night movie, and about that, um, I've seen a lot of the uh, classic horror 80s movies lately, and this honestly is probably one of the best ones that I've seen. Cool. Um, it seemed like had a really well developed plot. Uh, it was interesting to watch to see what was going to happen. My uh, favorite kill scene was the first one. Um, and even though uh, it just really seemed it was very, uh, some of the parts are very curiosity, uh, especially at yeah, the, uh, the prom in the movie, um, kind of made me think, as Madonna would say, it was very uh, reductive of Carrie in some aspects. Mm. But um, I guess all the prom movies got their ideas from Carrie. Yeah. But it was very, uh, like, it was just a very, I enjoyed it a lot, actually. And I was Good. surprised that I would actually like it. Yay! Um, Speaking of prom night, I also saw Halloween for the first time. Really? Which, um, yeah, I just have to say that Jamie Lee Curtis really kind of made the movie. I, mean, she was, I thought she acted extremely well. Mm-hmm. Um, other people in the movie weren't as good. And, Hush you your know, mouth. A lot of the annoying people died like they should have. Hush your mouth. Um, and I guess I'll just excited to see her in the original at some point. But uh, that's all I have for this week. Um, I will talk to you later. Bye. Okay, Joe, thanks for calling in. This was a great call. Um, let me see. Uh, blah, 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 what are we talking about? Yeah, House of the Seven Corpses. It's got a lot of flaws. Like I said, it scared the hell out of me as a kid, but it, now it drags, and I don't think had I been anticipating being horrified, I would have enjoyed it as much. It's 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 quirky, though. It's got its moments, but you're absolutely right. That whole stuff with this ghoul that's coming out, None of aside from it not making any sense, it takes forever. It does indeed take forever. And then when there's two of them, and they use the same footage twice, it's like, ah! Or is there two of them? Is there one of them twice? I don't know. We don't. We already covered this already. But here's the thing. Okay. Now that I've been thinking about it more, if the young guy who was behind all of this, if he was actually behind all of it and was not possessed or something, okay, so if he is the reincarnation or is the body of the, that lost Beale's son, and this whole ceremony was to bring him back from the dead. I don't understand because he seems to be already back from the dead. And if bringing him back from the dead means bringing him back as a ghoul, it seems to be more time efficient to be the young guy. Because they said this ghoul was just... And then they show the same footage again. But... But, you know, it was that's what the Nightmare Closet is for. It's for revisiting these things and finding out, you know what a pussy you were as a child or a pussy I was the pussy I was the Patrick Walsh story next on Lifetime oh I'm so happy you liked Hello Mary Lou prom night too uh, it's, 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 it's one of those classics that does not get the props it deserves a lot of people write it off as being just too silly but it is genius it's well written absolutely correct well fleshed out um, and yeah it doesn't just pull from Carrie it pulls from Nightmare on Elm Street it pulls from The Exorcist but they don't seem to be Rip-offs, exactly. It's more casual nods. Like, hi, yes, it's a, here, here we are. This is for you, this is for you, and this is for you. And it doesn't bother me at all, not a bit, because, you know, you can't really have anything at a prom without evoking Carrie in some 
point. You just have to. It's just going to happen at some point. You're going to, the comparison's going to be made, so we might as well just jump all over it and make it exactly like Carrie. Or not exactly like Carrie. Close enough like Carrie that people think it's Carrie, and I'm speaking really quickly in a really long sentence, and I need to take a breath right about now. <sighs> And I'm glad you finally got to see Halloween, Joe. Never repeat anything that you've said on this podcast to anyone. How annoying the other characters are and how stupid they are. I say that just because I value your safety. There are a lot of PJ Soul fans out there. There's a lot of Nancy Loomis fans out there that will just tromp your ass down to the ground for picking on either one of them. I'm sorry. They will totally tromp your ass to the ground. Oh, Paul. I give you all no keys, but please, my Paul. Oh, Paul, I'll stop now. Thanks for calling, Joe. And gosh, when I'm singing again, 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 it's time to stop the show. Stop it in its tracks. Stop me before I sing again. You probably can't. You can't, but I'm going to try anyway. Wrap the puppy up. The puppy needs cellar wrap now. Well, kids, I can't believe it. We finally made it to the end of the episode, and I think we all survived. Did we all survive? Could all the people who did not survive please say that they did not survive? Well, nobody said anything, so I guess everybody's fine. The cursed episode has been banished. And there's got to be a morning after. Something, 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 yeah. Okay, no, that's just going to bring the curse back. Stop singing. I already said it. Didn't I just say I wasn't going to sing anymore? And here I am doing it again. Oh, my God. God, we survived it all. We survived missed rehearsals and sick cats and gallstones and 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 disappearing guest hosts and disappearing voicemails and shitty movies and just well people in fucking flip flops. It's all in the past now, and we all got through it fine. Take a deep breath and relax. Nothing bad is going to happen from here on out. This is usually the part in the movie where something really bad happens, but let's keep our fingers crossed, shall we? So, if you want to be like all these really super cool people who phoned in and helped make the show, well, salvage the show out of the huge piece of shit that it turned out to be this week, by all means, please give me a call at 347-767-3509 or, or, or you can write me at crew at screamqueens.com and that's Queens with a Z! You can like me on Facebook. You can follow me on Twitter. You can join the official Scream Queens fan page over on Facebook as well as the information page. Or, or, or you could just continue to be awesome. That always works too. And hey, I want to give a huge thank you out to those of you who made donations to the show. I very much appreciate it. Thank you so much. Bless your heart. Me, I I was going to start saying me a couple, but that doesn't make any sense. But you know what I mean? My phone just farted. Or maybe that was just more of the curse. Maybe it was me. I don't know. Anyway, some of you made some very nice donations, and you know what that means. You all get gold stars. And as I already told Justin, don't even think about trading these motherfuckers in for a tiara because it is never, ever, ever going to happen. I also want to give a thank you out to Betty for writing a review over on the iTunes page, which brings me one closer to that goal of 30 by August 31st. 30 reviews. By August 31st. So the rest of you, if you really want to win my favor, if you want to get a gold star like the rest of these brown noses, head on over to iTunes. Just write down a couple words. Tell me how much you love me. How much you love the show. If you don't like the show, lie. For Christ's sake. God. Anyway. Next week, hopefully, with the grace of whoever is watching up there, we will have Hello Mary Lou Prom Night 2. With the special guests 
intact. Well, with the interview and with the special guests intact. Well, as intact as they can be, because both of them are like loosey-goosey. But I'm also trying to get my friend Dana on the show. Dana is the composer behind the off-Broadway hit Zombie Prom, and it would make a really cool prom special just in time for Gay Pride Weekend, or just after Gay Pride Weekend. I don't know. My calendar is all fucked up. Now, remember, I'm going to be having my surgery on the 21st. This next show might not happen until God knows when. So if I die, I'm sorry. This is the last thing I'm leaving you with. And if I don't die, ha, I will have a new bionic ass and I will come and sit on you. I promise. Anyway, this has gotten very vulgar all of a sudden. So until next time, continue to make the world a creepier place. And remember, as my grandmama always used to say, I remember during the Depression, my grandmama used to have to serve us hand towels for dinner. I used to love a peanut butter and hand towel sandwich. Didn't much care for crapping it out afterwards, though. Mm-mm. Bye. Some of the music for tonight's program has been provided by Mavio's Music Service. Check them out at music.mavio.com, bitches. <laughs>